Kia ora, this is Emma Bishop on Bean Break with Blake. Exactly. As she just said, this week on Bean Break we have the wonderful Emma Bishop, who is a very busy lady with hopefully lots of stories to tell. So Emma, let's get straight into it. Who are you? <laughs> That's a good question. Who am I? I am a young New Zealand performer, arts practitioner, educationer. Um, I'm going to put young because you're only as young as you feel, not as young as you actually are. Um, I've been around for a while though. So originally from Dunedin and have been in Tamaki Makoro for 24 years now. And I just dabble in lots of things to do with the arts. How did you get into the arts? What was your start? Well, that probably goes back to right when I was not even a, well, I was a twinkle, but in my mother's eyes. So my mum was a performer and was a big part of the Dunedin Opera Company. And so pretty much was literally born into the theatre in the sense of, as a young baby, being put to sleep at rehearsals. Um, The Mayfair Theatre in Dunedin was a second home. Um, As a teenager, I was the theatre cleaner. We were there every weekend, and mum was a product. If she wasn't performing in her later years, she was more the production manager and on the committee. And it was just always something I did. I grew up going through the competition circuit as a singer, and then went to university, did one year of performance opera under Honor McKellar in Dunedin before I went, Oh, I don't know if just standing and singing in opera is my thing. So I dropped out of university, then went to performing arts school in Nelson and then came to Auckland. And it's just always been a thing. I love to perform. What's your favourite part of performing? Um, I think it's probably the recognition at the end. I think like any performer, when when you kind of have done the hard yards, put the work in, and then the, you know, it is that there's nothing like coming out at the bows and taking your bow and being appreciated. And I mean... I probably, you know, my um, languages of love is probably that of um, gifting in a way, that sense of um, I love to give. So my performance is, and I don't mean a physical gift, I mean like I love to perform to create change, to make people feel, and um, that receiving back of appreciation is pretty cool. Do you prefer being on stage or behind the scenes or has that changed as you've gotten older? I think it's quite, it probably depends what hat I've got on at the time. So, I mean, I love performing, but as I've got older, I think I get, there's more anxiety around performing as I've gotten older. Um, I think because of all the work I do, I feel now that there's more of an expectation maybe on me, which is they're kind of unrealistic um, assumptions or thoughts that come with having anxiety and things like that um but you know when I'm sitting in a role where because I do a lot of producing now and it makes sense that I'm not performing when I'm producing because it's just too hard and when I do try to do the two like with my cabaret group something's got to give and I always feel like I never give myself enough time for my performance so my performance is rushed. Was teaching something you saw yourself doing when you first got into theatre or into arts? I remember in high school thinking that music teaching would be something I would do. Um, I think it was always in my mind that if I wasn't performing, I would be a teacher. 
And in fact, I started teaching young students and singing students when I was 16 and 17. So um, it was always there. And then I kind of went, no, I can do this performance thing. And that's when I went to performing arts school. And I was still teaching some after school type classes during that time. Then I got into um, management as a way to pay my way through university um, because mum wasn't able to support me. So university was always something that I had to fund. So I got into hospitality, which led to management. And um, I got quite, I think a lot of my management and my producing type stuff and even my teaching comes actually from doing hospitality and being in management and having to do budgets and things like that. But in regards to teaching, back to your initial question, um, it was always probably there. And I think for a lot of performing people, it's something that, I don't want to say it's a fullback because it wasn't a fullback either. But, you know, when I came to Auckland and I realised that at that time I was 24, I had just come off doing the um, my first professional gig, which was playing Columbia and Rocky Horror Picture Show in Nelson. And I came up here and I started going to auditions and I also had to pay my bills. And at that time, going to auditions meant you were, I was seeing the same faces at every audition. Lucy Lawless and the Shortland Street crowd and there were so many 24-year-olds with brown hair with my build and I just wasn't landing enough roles to live. So, you know, again, I fell back on my hospitality. But then as soon as you fall back on something like taking a job, you have to say no to auditions. So then I kind of went, well, how can I incorporate it all? If I'm not going to get full-time work as a performer, why not give back? And that's when I went to Teachers College. And um, because I didn't have a degree, because back in my day, performing arts schools didn't offer degrees. They only offered diplomas. So I did a four-year Bachelor of Education with a postgrad dip in music, which meant I could teach all subjects up to year 10, but I could teach music up to year 13. And then funnily enough, when I left Teachers College, my first job was actually as the head of dance and drama at Art Eddy College in Papatoi. And um, yeah, just kind of went from there. 17 years later, I decided that I didn't want to be a full-time school teacher anymore because that was never the plan and went back to living a full-time performing arts kind of career. Awesome. What prompted you to start up Stage Antics in 2017? So that was probably that. So I left teaching at the end of 2016 and I kind of went, okay, what am I going to do? And I was relieving a little bit in school still. And then I went, okay, my whole, over the 17 years of teaching, every time I did a show, I had people come to me and say, do you teach privately? Can I get singing lessons from you? Can I come to you? Can you give me help? And I went, well, why not set myself up as a full-time teacher of performance that way? And then, of course, from doing that, I then kind of in my head went, well, if I'm teaching students, I need to provide platforms for performance, which led to doing this, doing shows. And then I kind of went, well, what happens to my students when they're too old or they grow out of the grading system through Trinity or they go on to university? So then I set up Queen Street, which is our cabaret group, as a means for our senior students maybe to carry on and perform. So it's just kind of growing from there, really. 
And what part of putting on shows do you like? Do you like the audience's reaction or all the behind the scenes work that goes into it? Um, I think I like or appreciate, might be the good word, when it all comes together. Um, I mean, it's a frantic schedule from page to stage, you know, from first inception of I'm going to do, then, you know, all the logistics and everything that happens and then the rehearsals and then whether or not I'm part of the artistic team or not, it's all that other stuff. So when it all comes together, that's what I like the most. When you see, um, as a director, when I see my idea actually come to life on the stage and go, yeah, that was a really crazy idea, but man, it works. Has your working process changed from when you first started um, directing or running shows to what it is now? Definitely. Um, Probably for a variety of reasons. Um, Some being simple things like changes of technology, changes of You know, like when I first started directing, there wasn't such a thing as social media. So to get audition information out, it was posters at the local supermarket. It was newsletters that had to go into envelopes and have stamps put on them. Yes, there's things called stamps and it actually goes by ear. Um, So getting the word out actually was really hard. And now with social media, I mean, even the way we market, you know, again, Posters were a really big thing. Taking ads out of the newspaper. Trying to take an ad out in the newspaper now is really hard and really expensive in comparison to all the free marketing you can do via social media. So those kind of natural changes. In regards to my personal process, I've changed with experience. Um, I still get anxiety. I still am way too much of a perfectionist. But I do know now... How probably, probably the way I treat people now is quite differently. Um, I remember my first few, you know, my first few years, I was definitely a yeller, but a lot of that came from I'd grown up with directors who were yellers, and so I was modelling what I knew, and I then kind of had to take that step back and go, how did I feel when I used to get yelled at? I didn't like it, so why am I doing it? And stop that. So little things like that change, I think, over time. And, you know, as we get older, we definitely look at things from different perspectives and things change. Mm. Uh, Your most recent show, Camp Rock, what was that like? And were there any interesting stories that came out of that show? Um, Disney's Camp Rock was the second of the production season for June for Stage Antics. So we did Godspell Junior in Takapuna with our Takapuna class. And then we did Camp Rock with our Pukekohe class. Um, I think a few things. So like that class, again, kids are so busy now. Like when I was younger, you used to join a theatre club and that was what you did. That was your club, you know, and you'd do every single one of their shows. And now, because especially in Tamaki Makoto, where there's so many opportunities, people are so busy. So I wanted to create a platform where kids could do something with me, but they could still do their school show. They could still maybe do another club show. They could still maybe do NYT or Encore or whatever it is. So this class come to me once a week for an hour and a half And they had to commit to two terms. So they still kind of got their 20 to 30 hours of rehearsal time. But instead of it being three times a week for eight weeks, they did it over two terms. Um, So that in itself was really interesting because, again, 
because this was for young people 18 and under, there was a lot of, this wasn't the priority until the week of. So, um, and because we were only rehearsing once a week, it didn't feel like a priority, whereas the shows they were doing that were three times a week were. Um, again, I don't have my own space, so I always have the issue of every time I do something, I have to find a space, and then I've got to navigate that space. This particular space had no on-stage access. You only could walk up the front stairs. The stairs were really narrow. And I've, like, for example, got a student with a walker. So trying to get her onto the stage was a logistic nightmare, which I'm not sure, actually, as a council venue, how they get away with having that lower access ability. But anyway, that's another whole story. Um, There were no wings. There were no curtains on the stage. So, you know, I had to go right down to bringing in curtains, bringing in lighting, bringing in stage extensions, making the stage accessible, which is all added stuff, which always makes things interesting. Um, And then we had our lovely, probably the biggest story out of last week would be that um, there is a lovely homeless man living out in Pukekohe who has discovered that in the main hall of that particular building is a downstairs area that has a shower, a toilet and carpet and it's warm and it's dry and he's worked out how to get into the building, which is fine if you know he's there. But unfortunately in my first week I turned around to find him standing behind me in a locked building, which kind of wasn't a good thing for my anxiety. Um, But when I caught up with him two days later after him running out of the building when I screamed at him. Um, He was just a homeless man that wanted food and someone to talk to, and he was a lovely old guy. So that's kind of always going to stick with me with Camp Rock, that, um, yeah, it's an interesting place to be in Aotearoa at the moment, and there's people out there that don't have much and that we need to be open to them. Mm. Is anxiety something you've dealt with for all of your life? Um, I don't know if I ever thought it was anxiety, if I would have named it as anxiety when I was younger. I think I definitely had anxiety, but I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if I recognised it as that until I was older. Um, I've always probably had mental health issues. Um, I've grown up in a family where depression and mental health issues are, are a big thing. Um... I think for me, my anxiety has got worse in the last probably 10 years Um, without going into lots and lots of details. You know, losing my mum when I was only 35 and she was only just 60 was really full on and mum had a lot of mental health issues. Um, And then after losing her, slowly unpacking what that meant. And then, um, you know, even changing professions, setting up on your own, the realities of just realising that often people in our community are our friends when they want us to be our friends but aren't there when they don't need you kind of things. All those kind of life things, I think, add to the pressures of anxiety. So, yeah, like I said, I I would say it's always been there but I don't know whether I would have named it. But it's definitely much more prevalent now. Mm. Uh, What were the lockdowns like for you and did you uh, manage to continue any classes or anything through them? Um, The first lockdown was actually quite good. 
Um, I'm an extremely busy person. Um, I don't stop. And I think for me, and I'm someone that's hardly ever home as well. So the first lockdown one was kind of like, oh, this is what it's like to be home. And oh, I've got time to be organized. So things like, because I only wanted to go to the supermarket once a week, basic things like, how much food do we need for a whole week? And so still being able to be super organized, but in this more kind of, I want to use the word relaxed kind of a way. And, you know, being at home with my son and my husband and actually getting to spend time with them. Um, but also during that time, I had to kind of put on this a few other hats in the sense of, because I sit on national organisations, suddenly um, Drama New Zealand, which is the Association for Teachers of Drama and Education, and Musical Theatre New Zealand, um, we needed to be doing things for our members to help them. So for both of them, I became the COVID response kind of person. So I was having conversations with MB and entertainment technologies and COVID and the ministry and trying to unpack what does it mean for teachers? What does it mean for theatre people? Because there was a lots of lots of confusion about what we could and couldn't do. And um, also like... In that first lockdown drama New Zealand, I think we rolled out 32 online workshops for teachers over that period of time. And um, so that kept me really, really busy. And I think, too, we were doing lots of really cool things like junior theatre. We ran a makeup workshop and we were having um, interactions with our whana in um, America and they were doing regular Friday broadcasts that New Zealand was a part of and those kind of things. So that was, but I think it was kind of, it was new. The first lockdown as well, we didn't know when it was going, going to end, did we? It was kind of like, okay, we're going to be here for another month. And then, okay, we're going to be here for another two weeks. Okay, we're going to, you know, and it went on and on and on. Whereas the second lockdown, that was much harder because we knew what it was like. Um, it was sudden. I didn't have the same motivation to get online and do stuff. I just wanted to have time and I just wanted to be silent. Um, so they've been quite different, but throughout all of them, yes, I did manage to keep my lessons going, which was quite interesting. I definitely had some students that straight away went, I don't want to do online lessons. Um, for some students, it was hard because they were sharing devices. They were sharing space. Suddenly, they were actually having to sing within earshot of their families. And when they come to lessons, their families aren't there to listen. So that caused issues and anxiety for some people. Um, so, yeah, I don't really want to go there. But I have to say, um, one thing it did teach us is the amount of meetings now that I'm not driving to is fantastic. The amount of meetings now that we go, let's catch up on Zoom. Um, if a student is sick now, they don't actually have to miss their lesson, if, depending on what's, what kind of sickness. You know, obviously, if they've got no voice, miss your lesson. But for sometimes, it might just be, or um, for parents that suddenly have to rush off to a meeting and can't get their child to a lesson, the child can actually be at home and come online. And for a one-off lesson, it's fine. So it's definitely opened that up. And, you know, I picked up some students from outside of Auckland, which was really cool, you know. Um, I had a couple of students who are now at uni from Wellington. And for over two years, they were having regular lessons with me. 
And that was really cool as well. So it opened up a new realm of possibilities. Mm. Do you enjoy Zoom? Do I enjoy Zoom? Now there's an interesting question, Blake. (laughs) Do any of us enjoy Zoom? I think it's good for what it is. I do find it frustrating. The lag, for instance, not knowing if you're lagging. So sometimes when you've got a student on the other side just looking at you and you're kind of like going, are they processing? Or are they listening to my voice? Do I keep talking or do I wait for my voice to catch up? Am I lagging? Can they hear me? Have I frozen? The the hilarity when you freeze sometimes because of the position you freeze in. All those little things. So there's technical frustrations that make me go, oh, Zoom. And, but then I think a good Zoom is a good Zoom because there's still people out there facilitating PD, which can be three hours long where you're just sitting listening and not moving and trying to focus when you've got a computer in front of you. It's really hard. It's very easy for me to open up another tab and be doing other stuff. Hmm. You know, so a good Zoom where someone breaks it up, sends you off to breakout rooms, has things for you to do, has activities, has break time. Okay, we're going to take a two minute break now. Go and get a drink of water. Come back in two minutes. Those kind of things. It's great. Mm. Who are easier to work with on Zoom, children or adults? (laughs) Probably depends who they are and what they do in their work. I mean, I've had some adults that... I've been the first Zoom they've ever done, and they're not technical people. So, you know, even the whole, what do you mean my camera's not on? How do I turn my camera on? So um, earlier in the year, I was doing some research. So I'm a researcher at the moment for creative arts for social transformation at Auckland University, and I'm creating an oral history of drama and education in Aotearoa. And I interviewed 27 people who are life members um, and key stakeholders in drama in New Zealand, including our association, Drama New Zealand. Now, some of them, the oldest one that I interviewed was 93. So for someone like her um, coming online, um, I interviewed the most fantastic um, man who lives down in Kapiti, and he does book reviews still. Um, He's in his mid-80s for Radio New Zealand, but for him, it was, um, he was holding the iPad. So, of course, every now and then, the arm would go down. And as we were talking, you'd see the iPad go down. Then he'd realize he was out of shot and he'd jump back up again. You know, and who cares? It was great. I loved it. But for them, using their technology was was hard. But I also love the fact that we can definitely stay more connected. The fact that you can talk to someone that you haven't seen for ages in another part of the world is so cool. Mm. With running stage antics, co-producing, kick-arts, um, being, uh, being on multiple boards and associated with so many things, do you ever get sick of the arts? Um, yes, no, yes, kind of. <laughs> There's my answer. No, I think, I don't know if I get sick of the arts. I think I get sick of the politics. I think I get sick of egos. I get sick of assumptions. Um, you know, I'm one of those people and I'll be completely honest. I know there's people out there that just don't like me and I'm a really say it like it is person. 
I wouldn't say I'm a black and white person. There are definitely shades of grey. Um, one of my biggest frustrations in life, coming from a drama background, is that I'm really good at stepping into both sides of the story and looking at it from both points. And then I want to be really angry at someone, but then I start going, but what if they're doing da-da-da, and what if da-da-da, and then I can't be angry. Um, so I think when I'm as busy as I am, there's frustrations in it. There's frustrations in the fact that we're volunteers, but some volunteers do more than others. Um, or that there's people within all of our organisations that do nothing and expect so much. So um, do I get sick of the arts? No. Do I get sick of the bullshit around it? Yes. Could you see yourself doing anything else other than arts? Um, I think arts always come in somewhere. I mean, even if I think back to my hospitality staff, it's still people-fronted. Um, so even when, you know, I was managing bars and things like that, you're dealing with people all the time. You're, you're performing. It doesn't matter how crap your day is. You're performing, right? Um, and you're trying to help them, and you're trying to get into their brain and provide them with some happiness and entertainment. So, no, probably not. Um, you know, there's lots of offshoots I suppose you know now that I'm producing again it's still going to be the arts like if you're going to do events organizing and stuff that's still the arts um so yeah no I could probably I will always have art somewhere is there something about um the New Zealand art scene or at least what you're involved with that you wish was different um yeah probably access via um, just access in general, I suppose. Access in regards to um, financial access, you know. I think it's really sad that in a lot of cases it's elitist because if you can't afford to send your kids to lessons, they don't get lessons, right? If you go to a school that doesn't have passionate arts teachers, because in education in New Zealand it's, you know, Numeracy and literacy comes before anything else, and the arts aren't recognised as pedagogical tools. They're specialist subjects in most schools. Um, kids miss out. So, like, one of the biggest things that, like with stage antics, our kaupapa is accessibility for all, and there is a place for everyone. And if that means scholarships, I have kids that I give scholarships because they really need the lessons and they just can't afford it. Um, it's accessibility to no matter what race, gender, ability. You know, we've got kids with disabilities. We've got um, trans kids, etc. You know, and I just want the arts to be available to everyone. And it's actually part of um, UBESCO's rights of the child. Like, it's a worldwide thing in written and legislation that arts will be accessible to all children. And it's just that it doesn't happen. Mm. How? What keeps you motivated to stick with arts? Um, seeing the difference it makes for people, probably. Um, like I've got lots of, I call them, when I was interviewing the arts people earlier in the year and um, in a few of the kind of conference keynotes and things I've done, I call them my bed socks moments so you know at night time when you put on your socks to keep your feet warm my bed sock moments are those moments that keep me warm and that's a metaphorical warm you know 
So, um, you know, as an example, when I was first teaching, I was only in my third year teaching, I had this amazing student, so talented. But unfortunately, because he was in South Auckland, he was part of the gang scene. And um, it's the one time in my life I've had to go to court and um, testify on behalf of someone because unfortunately he was involved in a retaliation and because he was 16, potentially he could have gone to jail. But he was playing my Romeo in Romeo and Juliet. So I went along to court and I fought on his behalf to get him home detention. So he was only allowed out of home to come to school each day and he had to sign in at the end of the day. There was a police officer at the end of his driveway every day. And he was allowed out at night if I picked him up. So I was on his bail conditions and I was allowed to pick him up. I was allowed to take him to school. We would do the show and then I'd drive him home and the police officer would cite me, you know. And he, a couple of months later, came to me and said, I've left the gang. It did result in a lot of beatings and different things, like he was not in a good way. But he acknowledged that being in the dance crew and being in drama was the same as being in a gang. We were a family. We spoke the same language. We wore the same clothes. We liked the same music. But the outcome of being on stage, when he realised the feeling he got when he performed, when he heard that applause, when he danced with his friends. And um, so for me, that was such a huge thing of what the arts can do for somebody when they actually get the opportunity. So that's my motivation, is the amount of kids who have said, you know, I've given them confidence, I've helped them believe in themselves, I've helped them, and even if they go on to not do arts as a job, you know, the amount of my students that have gone on to be professionals and be able to say, I can speak confidently because of everything you did, you know. And again, like I said right at the start, I'm not doing it for the, for me. I'd like to think that everything I do is for other people. Mm. What inspires you, and has your have your inspirations changed since you were younger? What inspires me? Again, I suppose it's that seeing that change. I've had some really inspirational people in my life that has inspired me. Probably. Um, I grew up with the most eccentric principal and I'm sure any Queen's High School girl from Dunedin who had Pat Harrison as their principal would agree. Her dogs and her high heel shoes coming down those linoleum corridors were the fear of any girl because you never knew which door was going to fly open and who she was going to address. She knew every student's name at that school and she taught me that being eccentric was okay. Being a little bit crazy was okay. And I'm definitely, you talk to any of my students, they know I'm a little bit crazy. Um, and I also had the most beautiful, inspiring drama teacher at Queen's High School, Terry McTavish, is, was phenomenal. And another one that just taught me to be myself. And Terry, you know, she's not teaching anymore, but she's still performing. And she's on my Facebook, you know, and we are forever Terry's girls. And she was amazing. Um, and then I suppose, who else along the way? I mean, I've just had lots of people that have kind of supported, been there. 
Um, people like Professor Peter O'Connor at Auckland University with his everyday theatre and his applied theatre and using the arts for change. Um, what he does all around the world is inspirational. Um, so yeah, lots of things inspire me. And then it can be as simple though as seeing lighting effects outside in the weather and kind of going, wow, I need to include that effect in my show. How can I do that? Those kind of things. Um, I, I have the privilege at the moment of working with Jan Ubels at Ormiston Junior College, who is a designer and sculptor, and he used to design for New Zealand Opera Company. Being able to go to him and describe something and then see him, he's one of these people that just makes. Um, the stuff he makes is phenomenal, and it's all just from his hand and from his head. That's inspirational. Hmm. How did you co-hosting, co-producing Kick Arts come about? <laughs> so there's two sides to that story. Um, so firstly, years ago I worked, I was on the trust of, and I was an administrator for a while, of a charitable trust called Hiwaka Ekanoa. And Hiwaka Ekanoa also are the trust that sit above Ugly Shakespeare Company. Now they were the original people that started Kick Arts 13 years ago now, and Richard Green. And at the time, I was doing a little bit for them. Um, actually, I wasn't, when I first started doing Kick Arts, I wasn't doing much for them. But Richard reached out because he knew I was reviewing. So I started doing regular reviews of theatre for him on Kick Arts. And then that kind of grew into me being on the board and doing admin for him. And I co-hosted for quite a while. And then when I stopped working for the trust, I didn't have much to do. Well, I didn't have anything to do with Kick Arts apart from occasionally being a guest on the show. If I was doing something in theatre, we'd go for an interview. So that's that kind of side of the story. And then um, two years ago, no, coming up three years ago now, um, Richard had decided that it was time, because he had lots of other things going on, for Kick Arts to maybe be handed over to someone else to take over that kaupapa and mahi. And interestingly enough, I have this 24-year friendship with Stephen Dallow and having worked 24 years ago for Stephen with Kids for Drama and having done professional theatre with him and stayed friends with him all that time. And he rang me and said, I've just had a phone call from Richard Green asking if I would be, well, actually, we'll reverse a bit. We both texted each other and said we need to talk to each other about something. And when we got on the phone, we discovered that Richard had actually reached out to both of us asking if we would be interested in taking over the radio show. And both of us had said, not by ourselves. And both of us had thought of, thought of each other at exactly the same time. And both of us had texted each other at the same time. And then we both went, well, we both want to do it. Let's do it together. And that's kind of how it came about. And it's a perfect match. And, you know, when Stephen's busy doing a show, I do all the interviews. And when I was busy doing a show a few weeks ago, he did all the interviews. And... He manages the email and I manage the social media and we've just always really gelled as as a pair. We've both got the same vision for the arts. We've still got we've both got the same passions. We've both got families. Um, you know, we always joke about Stephen being my past husband, because we were. And um we just work so well together and Kick Arts is just such a great way. I mean, because it's all voluntary 
like we don't get paid to do kick arts. We do it because we want to promote the arts. We want to help people make it visible. Awesome. Would you say relationships and connections like you and Stephen are important in the arts? Oh, definitely. Networking is probably more important than being a good performer in a lot of cases. Your, re- your presence, your, um, I don't want to use the word reputation, but reputation, um, the ability to be able to call on people. I mean, so much of what I do is, oh, I know someone I can ask that. Oh, I know someone I can ask that. And that comes from constantly going and meeting people. I mean, I go and see a lot of productions and a lot of people go, oh, why do you go to all these productions? And it's like, well, one, I'm supporting people because when I then perform, I want them to support me. But two, it's amazing how much of my work since 2017 has come about because I've been standing in the foyer after a show and I've been talking to someone and they've gone blah, 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 blah. And I've gone, oh, I know someone you could use for that. Or, oh, that sounds really cool. I'm free at that time. And the whole networking aspect of the arts industry is where so much work comes. Because a lot of the time in the arts industry, it's shoulder tapping. You know, it is people reaching out to people they know and going, I need this done, can you do it? Hmm. Are there any other projects that you're thinking of taking up soon? <laughs> um, I don't know if there's products, projects that I'm thinking of taking up. I Hopefully there are projects that will come along. I suppose... Uh, I don't know. That's a hard one because you don't actually know what's around the corner, right? Um, So as an example, yesterday I had an email from a school who had started a production journey last year and then um, their teacher had changed and they wanted to continue that journey that had been postponed due to COVID. So I put my hand up to help them pull that together. You know, you just don't know what's around the corner. The next big, big thing on my radar which isn't a new project, is the Junior Theatre Festival. So that's the annual event which sees kids from all around New Zealand coming to Tamaki Makoto for a festival day. And this year we're lucky enough for the first time in three years to have our friends from iTheatrics in America, um, Ryan from Europe, MTI in Europe and Stu from MTI in Australia coming back. So that's a huge festival and a big part of my annual year. But um, I'm always on the outlook for, oh, what could I do this this term? And sometimes I'm crazy and go, let's do this, 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 this and this. And sometimes I kind of go, let's do this, this and this. And the next day go, oh, no, I can't actually do all of that. Um, it's keeping my eyes open all the time for what can I be offering what can I be, what gap can I be filling? So, um, for example, the workshops around New Zealand that we're now offering, I'm often two weeks' time to Christchurch to run a three-day workshop down there for kids. And, you know, last holidays we were in Invercargill and in Nelson. So it's filling gaps and just really keeping my eyes open and my ears to the ground about where the needs are, where the wants are, and seeing if I can provide that fill. Have you had any experiences in arts that you've had and you've not liked and you would never do that again? Um, I think I learn, would like to think that I've learned from everything I've done and whilst everything I've done may have had negative moments, um, I don't regret doing them because I've learned from them. So 
I suppose the biggest learning over the years has been to fully discuss it at the front end so that the confusion and the political mis miscommunications and assumptions don't happen later on down the track. Mm. Sort of sticking in that vein, what's your um, best memory and worst memory from theatre? Oh my goodness. That is so hard, Blake. <laughs> I mean, best memories could be broken up into so many. Best memories of, you know, seeing students succeed um, versus, I don't know, 1994 being on the stage on the opening and closing night of Les Mis where we were treated like in Dunedin, like the most amazing royalty. I mean, the mayor had a reception for us in his mayor's chambers because we had sold the show out and we had to extend for an extra week and all sorts of things. You know, that was, as a young 21-year-old at the time, that was like, oh, my God. Um, doing Rocky Horror Picture Show as a my first professional gig, that was like a, oh, my God, moment as well. But then now it's things like, when students reach out to me because they've just been accepted to overseas training or um, having students realise that they can when they just thought they couldn't. Those are amazing moments. Um, bad moments? Mm. Again, I don't know. I think it's much easier to acknowledge a bad moment and walk away from it. Um and acknowledge it, strike it up as learning, keep the learning part of it and get rid of all the other stuff because there's, like I said, there's always bad moments. And, um, you know, there's been a few pretty major bad moments, um, but they have made me who I am. Mm. Looking back on uh, your younger self, is there anything you sort of shake your head at and go, why did you do that? Um... I am really thankful that social media wasn't a thing when I was younger because I was a pretty crazy teenager um, and I was pretty loud and really social and I'd hate to think what the photos and the memories would look like if there was social media back then. Um, and I think that's a huge learning for youth now too is realising that Social media is something that stays with you forever. Someone will find that dodgy picture, you know, and um, understanding that people, if they're questioning you or if they're looking to employ you, often the social media is the first place to go. And if you've got a social media that looks a bit out of control, um, that could affect the outcome. So probably if I look back on my younger self, I think I did this actually seven years ago quite seriously because when I left teaching, um, as I'd said earlier in the interview, I my plan was always to get a teaching degree behind me because I was going into schools trying to teach teachers how to teach drama and so many teachers were like, well, what do you know? You're not a teacher. So originally I was only ever going to teach for three years to get fully registered and then kind of relief teach here or there. But instead I stayed full time for 17 years. Um, so when I stepped out and I started Stage Antics, it was kind of a little bit of a, 
I've got friends that are in the industry that trained with me and they came out of training and went, I'm just going to stick to it. If I have to sleep on friends' couches, if I have to sleep in my car, I'm just going to wait for that ad. I'm going to wait for that break. I'm going to do every audition I can do. And then you had people like me who wanted to know that I was financially secure. I had children. I had a mortgage. I had to pay my bills. So, you know, for me, it was very easy to walk away from the acting side of things to get a financial, financially secure job like teaching. Um, and now... You know, I don't do what I do for the money. Being a freelance arts practitioner is not going to make anyone rich. Um, I was excited because Godspell and Camp Rock broke even. And I managed to pay myself as a director. And I was paying myself on community theatre rates. It's not like I'm paying myself a professional rate. I got enough money to pay my bills, but I actually paid all the bills of the show. And that was super exciting, you know. So, um, yeah, it's those... Those kind of things that I kind of look back on, I think as a young person, I took a lot for granted. I don't think I realised how much having a solo mother, how much she did to make it possible for me to have the training I had. But then I remember going to singing lessons. I used to take, it was $10 per singing lesson that I paid my singing teacher for a 45-minute lesson, and we paid cash on top of the piano. You know, so we are talking like, oh my God, I'm not going to say how many years ago about 35 years ago, $10 a lesson, you know. So, but $10 in those days was massive. So what mum was doing for me was massive. And so I think a big thing, and she's not here to thank her, thank her anymore, but what mum did and the persistence she taught me and the resilience I got from being my mother's daughter, um, I'm th thankful for. Awesome. If you had to give advice to um, someone who's just getting into the theatre or art scene, what would you tell them? Network. Don't be afraid of being a tall poppy. Blow your own trumpet whenever you can. Like, let people know what you're doing. Post everything. Take photos everywhere you go. Don't be scared of, you know, letting people know, I'm here with this person, I'm watching this show. Tag everyone. Um trust that it can be done and ask for help I think this is a real big thing new people starting out as directors and new people starting out um, as producers and things like that it's not bad to say I don't know um, I just feel that there's so many young people coming up now with this I can do which is great but it's okay to go I can do if you show me first and not to be scared it's not a weakness to say I don't know, because you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Now that you've been interviewed and sat in the box and been on the show, who do you want to hear? Who would you like to sit in the box? Woo. Um, I think the opportunity for any young person, I think these kind of platforms are a perfect way for someone to tell their story and get heard. Um, but also... I don't know, there's so many New Zealand arts people out there. I think sometimes, some of the old favourites maybe, I think we just assume that we know these people, but sometimes getting them in a box like this, like I've probably told you stories and told you things that other people have never heard. Um, so when I say the old favourites, you know, some of those people like you, Michael Hurst and Jennifer Ward-Leyland and um, 
I don't know, just people that have been in theatre for all those years that are still still around and doing it. Um, I just think this is a great opportunity for people to have a voice and be heard. Awesome. Speaking of um, being heard, where can the people find you? Where can people find me? Okay, so, oh my goodness, where, pe- can, where can people not find me? If you <laughs> want to find out more about Kick Arts, which has been mentioned a few times, that's New Zealand's Comprehensive Arts Showcase on Planet FM 104.6. Jump onto their website or check us out at kickarts.nz on Instagram or Facebook. If you want to check me out, I've got a Facebook page, Emma Bishop, Arts Practitioner, Director, except it's got a whole lot of tags after it. Or my personal page is Emma Bishop. Um, Stage Antics as a performing arts company throughout Aotearoa is stageantics.nz on Instagram, TikTok and on Facebook. Um, If you want to know anything about those national organisations, Drama New Zealand is exactly that, drama.nz. Or Musical Theatre New Zealand, which is the National Association for Community Theatres of Musical Theatre. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm in lots of places, but you know, jump onto Stage Antics. I tend to share a lot there, and of course, good old kick arts if you're into the art scene. Awesome, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me. Thanks so much for having me, Blake. I appreciate. It.